Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. Our guest today is Pamela Brinker. Pamela is a licensed clinical social worker and has treated thousands of clients over her 30 years in private practice and has developed tools and practices to teach conscious bravery. Also a speaker and trainer, Pamela has taught and led groups and workshops on a variety of themes, including motivation, grief, mental health, conscious bravery, why supporting loved ones with addiction. And she is the author of the book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction. And Pamela will share her own story of how she had to work on caring for her sons while they were going through their own addiction after the loss of their stepfather. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode, and I hope it is as meaningful to you as it was to me. And if you are getting a lot out of The Addicted Mind and you want to support The Addicted Mind podcast, please leave a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast that really just help the podcast get found. I really appreciate it. And I do read them and they do mean a lot to me. And you can also find us on Instagram at Addicted Mind Podcast. So check that out. And don't forget, click the subscribe button. All right, everyone, stay tuned for this episode. All right, everyone, welcome to the Addicted Mind my guest today is Pamela Brinker, and we're going to talk about your book, Conscious Bravery. But before we get there, how about you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your story so we can kind of understand the context of this book and how it came to be. I've been a psychotherapist for 32 years now <laughs> and a clinician, a as a clinician. <laughs> yeah, I've done I've led workshops and trainings and done some speaking, that sort of thing. But 12 years ago, when I'd been practicing about 20 years, my second husband died from grade four glioblastoma brain cancer. Oh and I had 
Yeah, it was a it was a really challenging time for him and for our family. And I had two teenage sons at the time. They're now in their 20s. But the grief that they experienced launched them into substance misuse. Not right. to my knowledge. They were very secretive about it because they were really protective of me and wanted me to feel supported by them and so forth. But that's often the case I've found, you know, that people turn to substances as the answer to their pain. And so even yeah. though we were close at the time and we were trying to make sense of things and move forward after their stepdad passed and after my husband passed away, they turned to each other and to drugs. And within three years, they were addicted to amphetamines. And five years wow. later, they were both using methamphetamines. And so it's been a really tough journey. And because I had so many tools in my bag as a therapist, I knew a lot of what to do. And I was trying to do it. You know, I was trying to stay conscious yeah. and present with them and grieve in a healthy way. But I was not my best self. It launched me into a place where I was anxious and couldn't reset well and didn't didn't use my tools and skills that I knew so well very very aptly. So I started modifying everything that I'd taught my clients and came up with a, the protocol that I needed at the time. There was no book right. out there for me to turn to. I was turning to all kinds of books and practices and different types of therapists, family therapists and trying acupuncture and chiropractic and doing my yoga and meditation. But, you know, just the combination of everything, my husband passing and my son's becoming dependent upon drugs really threw me. So I had to modify everything. And I started putting together these protocols for conscious bravery, how to be resilient, how to reset in the moment when things feel like they're overwhelming and chaotic, you know? Right. You're just lost in it. Like it's mm -hmm. just so big that we can just feel like we're just going to be engulfed by it or blown mm -hmm. away by it or it's just going to overtake us. You said it well. It does feel like it could t bring us down. And at the time, shortly after my husband's passing, my mom, who was elderly at the time, started having more dementia and needed more care and help. And so it was just a combination of a lot of things that made it very harrowing for me and for my sons. So I decided, I just kind of, I was gifted, I guess, or graced with this conscious bravery understanding and started writing about it and sharing it with my clients and and they loved it and they were getting better with some of these protocols that I teach in the book and that I teach at workshops. Right. So being able to start to care for somebody with addiction, especially your kids. I mean, I would mm -hmm. imagine you have that grief going on and then you have the anxiousness of watching your kids struggle. And I just imagine like that just seems just overwhelming. It just seems so mm -hmm. big. Mm -hmm. It was. And I have such empathy for our listeners and for people who DM me all the time because it's different for everyone. My sons had ADD and ADHD, which are neurodiverse learning styles, right? And right. yet it made them more impulsive and less able to have clear insight into 
what they were doing. And so I believe that no one wants to have mental health challenges. No one wants to become dependent upon substances, you know? No, yeah. And so we really want to walk alongside our loved ones. And that's what I tried to do is walk alongside them in the wilderness, work on myself, see our family as a system. And um, that's a lot of what I teach in Conscious Bravery, that we want to be able to not blame anyone, not feel shame and blame ourselves, even though I did have a lot of that. And I tried to make friends with that as well to be able to move through it. But to really be able to see the wealth of things happening as information coming to us, what will I change in my life? What can I change in my family? Like I had to really change my communication styles because I had a tendency to be a really go-to person. I'd been a triathlete and an athlete my whole life. And I was really kind of type A and let's take it on and I can fix anything. (laughs) But I had to learn how to be more tender and compassionate and pause. And I still have to work on this. Pause and listen and let my sons come up with their own plan and then decide what, what part I'll have in it if I will you know, continue to support them or if I will step back for a little bit. You know, I have a question as you're, as you're talking Mm -hmm. about that, thinking about having to summon bravery, you know, consciously do that. Like you said, you're a type A Mm -hmm. person. So this is how I would imagine under stress, you go to this, like, we're going to, we're going to jump on this (laughs) and, and take care of it. And we're going to go. And then to have to do the opposite of your own way of coping, like like you said, I had to slow down and become tender, you know, for the, for my loved ones who I'm I'm watching suffer, my my kids, I'm watching them suffer. I this is I'm just imagining how you have to summon that bravery or pull that bravery in or what I get there to be able to do that. It's a great comment and question. So I've been meditating for years, but I really learn, have learned more how important it is to, to translate my meditation and transfer it into my life. So what I'm aware of when I'm meditating, whatever it is, if I'm connecting to what's greater, the universe, to nature, to God, if I'm aware of my mind racing, I want to be able to bring some calm to that and contain it all. And to be able to hold space for for my anxiety and be compassionate for that, like here I am. Okay, gosh, my mind is really racing. My my stomach's grumbling. I'm really feeling a lot of panic. And breathe into it and through it and then be able to reset in my daily life. And sometimes we all have to reset. I know I have to reset. 8, 12, 15 times. And that's that's about resetting our nervous systems, really, is what I mean by that. You know, like when I'm meditating, my heart might start racing more, but I'm not in full-on panic mode. But during the day, if I get really hard news, like that my right. son has a major diagnosis, you know, I might hear from mm-hmm. a treatment center, we're temporarily giving him this major mental health diagnosis because we're not sure what's going on, if it's drug use that has affected him or if it's this major mental health issue. And so right. that might be that might be a, a, a bit of news that just completely throws me for 10, 15 minutes. So I get into my body and I be present and I bring my meditation into that moment with, huh, now there's this, which is a chapter in my book, how to really be present with devastating news. And then how to breathe through it and bring compassion to that so that then I can offer compassion to my son that is awake and aware. You know, he might need 
tenderness. I often say conscious bravery isn't always tough as nails. Bravery can look like softness and it can sound like stillness. So I might say, what's going on? Okay, pause, pause, listen. What's your plan? Pause, pause, listen. And, but I have a tendency to react and to want to... To, to solve it and, and fix and it right here. It, yes, but I'm trying to learn now how to continue to practice what I teach. And um, so I'm offering this for my listeners that conscious breathing is part of conscious bravery and it gives our bodies the flexibility to choose from array, an array of options that we have available. And that's part of what conscious bravery is, having a, a whole repertoire of capacities that have become more innate so that in the moment we can choose one or two of these practices, these tools to help ourselves reset from that sympathetic fight or flee or curl up in a ball and feign death or run, you know, or, or fawn, please someone just to keep them quiet. <laughs> you know, those right. are the sympathetic nervous system responses. But if I consciously breathe into my body, into my heart, into my busy mind, I can then reset my nervous system so that I have that rest and response or parasympathetic nervous system response. And then I can choose more wisely what I will do. Right. Being able to get into that wise mind by, by slowing down that, our nervous system and being able to use those tools. So then we can summon that and, and do that. I'm wondering too, because so many people reach out to me and the reason that they do that is because they have a loved one who is struggling with addiction and it's so overwhelming because they they feel so lost and i i wonder can you share a little bit of like this journey and this experience to to go through that process because i think so many people out there are just they 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 feel lost they just feel completely lost they have this yes. love on a kid a, a parent or a brother a sister who's involved in this and i just to share that piece of it our lostness is a reality that we have to face. I've discovered that. And so I have to find myself over and over again. And I would encourage our listeners and anyone you know and care about to find yourself. And that, that has several components, but the two, two main components of finding ourselves that I would speak to are one, to know who we truly are. We are not our situations. We are not our circumstances. I am not this mother. You're not this father that's lost in this matrix of chaos because of my loved one's substance misuse. I am a person and a being. I'm not even just a mom or a psychotherapist or an author, a teacher. You know, you're not a whatever, a CEO. <laughs> right. we, those are roles that we have that will change. And even our talents our things that come and go, our skills wax and wane. And so we have to remember that we are our essence, our soul, if you will. The, the core self is who we are. And I like to call it, I like to call it essence because essence is a more elegant word that isn't laden with a lot of dogma. And so we want, we want to remember at all times and come back into during our meditation or yoga or on, on a hike on nature, in nature, we want to remember, oh yeah, here I am and breathe into this space. Here I am. This is who I am. And so that's the first 
purposeful component that helps me all the time and I know helps my clients and people who attend my workshops. But also our self-care is absolutely a necessary luxury. <laughs> a right. necessary. And I say luxury because oftentimes people think self-care is going and getting a massage, that kind of a luxury, or making time with a friend. But self-care is also these things like having enough water, drinking enough water, making sure we have a structured life. So I'm, I get myself up every day, eight hours after I go to sleep. That's my structure, no matter what. And I don't get out of my bed until I can put my feet on the ground with gratitude. So I lie in my bed and I breathe and I become awake and I say, okay, yeah, waking up, here I am. And I notice anything that's happening. If I'm in fight or flight waking up, which happens sometimes for those of us who love someone who struggles greatly. But I'll notice that and then I'll try to bring calm to the breath and just say, here I am. This is what I'm experiencing. I don't shame my feelings. I just say, wow, this is already happening. Huh. Okay. I'm right here. I'm in this bed. I have a roof over my head. My self-care this moment is breathing and then standing in gratitude. And then I go out and greet the sun and get indirect sunlight into my eyes, which helps people to lift their mood. You know, five minutes of indirect sunlight into our eyeballs because it's directly connected to our brains is actually something that's researched and talked about on the Huber, Huberman Lab podcast, for example. So if people are interested in knowing more about that. But it also helps us to sleep better at night. And so we have these structured self-care practices that we guard with our lives. And I have to say, I protect my happiness with my life as well. This foundation of happiness that I return to no matter what. And as you're saying that, I'm imagining the strength that comes from that so that when you're faced with those situations where something's going on in the chaos of your loved one's addiction, that you now have this space to be, uh, you know, I make up like to, to be conscious, to be, to, to be brave, but consciously brave, which I think is very different. Beautifully said. Yes, bravery is one thing. It might be kind of a save the day image, jumping into a burning building, right, and, and helping someone. But conscious bravery can look so many different ways. It can have a, a hundred different styles. And since there's no one style for our loved ones that, that move into this place of addiction, there's no one way out of it. And so we as family members, friends, and loved ones who walk alongside them, We've got to find a bunch of different ways to help ourselves to be tall and strong and tender and to refine that conscious, that ability to be awake and aware, that conscious bravery, so that we can be the oasis for them when they do need help and when we are ready to support. Yeah. And I, I would imagine if we're in our fight and flight, like you said earlier, it's like, just take action, just do all this stuff. But I guess there's also this other piece of what I see of, of letting go of what we don't have control of. And that, to me, sometimes can be so terrifying. Uh, I just, I send out a bravery bite. I call it a bravery bite. It's a little, you know, 300 word email blast every other week. And so any of our listeners, if you want this bravery bite, just go to my website and I'll send you one. But I just sent out one two weeks ago called Dropping the Rope. And this morning, my bravery bite was about consciously letting go through love and, and how to do that, how to live non-dualistically. So we don't just 
say I'm black or I'm white. I'm here and present or I'm done. It's got to be that we live in this gray area. You know, if we really want to help ourselves and our loved one, we have to come to terms with this is a long-term challenge for them and for us. And we want to have the capacity to find wisdom and grace through it. And so I don't say ever anything that, that someone should do any one particular thing. You know, everyone has to find their own inner wisdom. And since it is so harrowing and we do feel lost at times, we have to discover how to become awake and aware in any given moment, even during the devastations. Because people, a lot, a lot of times, I don't know if you've seen this too, Duane, but a lot, of, a lot of people think that enlightenment is about something down the road. But yeah. I believe that it's right here, right now, in our presence. And so that's why I teach whole being awareness, that when we're aware in our bodies, in our hearts, our intuition, our minds, our energy space, that we can actually have a pool of information available to us to help us calm ourselves and then be the calm or the the more soothing, strong force that our loved one needs to see because they need to see us being able to role model how to live. If we can't do it, how are they going to? Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. And you also talk about like collaboration over confrontation. And I'm thinking how these pieces kind of come together as you start to pull on this conscious bravery or manifest this conscious bravery or create it or build it or whatever it is, all it manifest <laughs> it, all of those things that, that this gives us, this allows us to get into that space easier. Yes. And collaboration. I love that phrase collaboration over confrontation because we're partners in this. We're all one. You know, I'm an individual being absolutely. And I'm not trying to enmesh with my sons, but I am also part of their world, and I will never undo that. It's part of our DNA, and it's part of how the, the whole world operates, in my view. And so when, when I'm one with them, I'm going to pick up on their energy and feel what's going on with them. So I need to be aware of that and bring some sort of force to myself. And so that's why I have... I have chapters in my book on um, asking for help. You're talking about collaboration, because I do believe that I am not, even though I'm a social worker and a clinician, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> so I turn to parent coaches and my therapist and groups as resources. And I try to resource through others for myself so that I can be the best I can be and for myself so that my health doesn't suffer and I'm vibrant and peaceful and joyful at times. And I can also feel all my emotions, just like I want to teach my sons to be able to have that capacity to hold space for their pain without me trying to rescue them from it. I've got to be able to handle my own pain and not escape from it. Yeah. And, and as you were talking about earlier, no one chooses, and I agree with you, to have an addiction or, or chooses that in a way like, yeah, this is what I want to do. So they want collaboration and they want support and help. And if we can do it in that way, I think we're going to get farther. So true. And as you've talked about on your podcast and other, other guests you've had have spoken about, we want to be able to empower our loved ones, right? And to give them agency, show confidence in them. And so I often say, okay, what's your plan? 
hmm, and listen. Okay, let me think about my role in that. And they might ask me for something that I'm willing to do, and they might ask me for something I'm not willing to do. And so I may compromise and say, well, I'm willing to, to bring you food. I'm not willing to give you cash through Cash App right now. You know, but yeah. I will bring you food. Or I will take you to your whatever DUI class. I'll take you to your therapy. I'll take you to Wellbriety. Or I might give you a lift. If, if they're kind of, if our relationship is struggling in terms of communication, which sometimes happens where there's just too much toxicity going back and forth between our loved ones and ourselves. So sometimes I'll say, yeah, you really want to get to the meeting. Uh, it's really rough for me to get there today. My schedule's full, but I'll put you in a lift and give you a lift back home. Right. So we can get creative in how we help and how we receive help ourselves. And I'm thinking as you're summoning conscious bravery, and you're caring for someone with addiction, that to be able to have those clear boundaries of what's right for you really takes that. You have to be centered in yourself. So you you have to rely on your self-care because, man, those, those you know, if you're in fear and anxiety, those kind of decisions are so hard, you know, and especially someone you love, you care about so much. I mean, oh. Oh, you're saying that so well. And and I really believe that the core of my book and what I teach and what we all need to learn, whether we're the parent or the loved one or the person who's beginning a recovery path, is that we have to have more awareness and be able to handle the awareness that we get. Because sometimes our awareness can be overwhelming. Like I can say, wow, I'm really... I'm really freaking out and I'm starting to struggle with physical challenges, which a lot of the parents I work with have, you know, they end up with ulcers or the beginning of like, you know, migraines or things like that. And so they know their health is being challenged, but so they want to be able to be more aware. Okay. I'm aware of this happening. Instead of just drinking a lot of wine at night, I'm going to stop drinking for a bit and experiment with other healthier solutions to face my pain, be present with myself so I can be present with my loved one. And so that conscious awareness is part of what empowers us to become braver, you know, and we become braver, consciously braver by practicing it. And so I say that it's got to be something where we are doing something consciously brave every day, putting one foot in front of the other every day, making a phone call or not making a phone call, saying something or being silent or something in between. <laughs> I, I hear as you're talking, uh, what I would say, like, an internal congruence, like, you know, your inside and outside match. So your responses are there. And then I also see like modeling that congruence to the person you're caring for who's struggling with addiction. So well said. That's really powerful and beautiful. Yes. Internal congruence. And we have to be real. You know, one of the things yeah. that people say about me that's a very well-received compliment is that I'm pretty transparent. I know when I'm not doing well, but I don't designate the whole day as like I'm having a bad day. I say, wow, this moment's really challenging. I know in any given moment, things can change. <laughs> feelings do not last. They change all the time. And we are not our thoughts. And so that's why I have a whole chapter on becoming more whole being aware so that we can become more internally congruent and bring that into our active daily lives with our behaviors and our words. And I would also say this isn't something that just you decide to do. It's something you have to practice, 
you know, like, cause I know for me, <laughs> if I don't kind of practice this stuff, it, it doesn't happen. Right. I'm like, <laughs> I'm back to my old, mm-hmm. really efficient coping mechanisms that aren't always the best and don't actually really get me where I want to go. Absolutely. We just have to try every day, practice something a little bit and keep working at it, even though we might not be that good at it and not judge ourselves. You know, we're just in this to learn. Learning and making mistakes are part of my process for sure. I'm sure they're part of yours. And um, so I'm always encouraging clients. Hey, you made a mistake. Okay. What are you feeling? All right. Stay with that. Okay. Now what, what are you motivated to do? And, you know, it it might be just something incremental that we're motivated to do today that then next week we'll be more motivated to do because we did it consistently. Consistency is our foundation. And what about, as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about people out there who, you know, have a loved one and that fear that that the person we love, our children, or that addiction might get them, that addiction might take them. You got it. You got it. So, I mean, that's Mm -hmm. so heartbreaking. It's so painful, but it's the reality. And I just wonder, like, I mean, I'm thinking of Mm. conscious bravery in that moment of that realization that we don't have any control over this in some ways. Right. We can bring up ourselves. You've got it. The assertive surrender is part of a commitment that I make to myself and to my sons and to God. And I encourage my people who listen to me or read my books to consider assertive surrender. So we surrender, which is a wide open stance of, okay, I can't control this. So much is out of my realm here. But I, that's an assertive stance. Who wants right. to surrender? You know, that's powerful to say, I'm going to partner with God, the universe, with you, with my collective, my tribe, whoever, if I go to meetings or in part of a support group, I'm going to, I'm going to partner with others. So there's this amazing triad of connection that I teach. Work on yourself and partner with yourself. Connect with others. There's this amazing synergy with others. And then find something greater that you believe in. Nature, God, the universe. And and that triad of connection is so empowering. And so then we're able to move forward with commitment as we continue to surrender to what's out of our control. But there's a lot within our control. And that's what my book is about, too. Befriend your feelings. Become more comfortable with discomfort and overwhelm. You know, I've I've had to. I continue to have to. Choose to live vibrantly. Choose not to let this take you down. And so I do death practices. We are all going to die and we're all going to get sick. And that's just part of life. So to have some lightheartedness about that actually helps. So in my meditation, I am very connected with nature, things are vibrantly awake and coming out this spring and alive and blooming and other things are dying. And that's part of what happens to us as humans. So I'm still terrified of losing my sons or having one of them get a head injury or become a paraplegic. While at the same time, I'm also aware they're not going to live forever. And it's not up to me if they live or die. So I've got to be the healthiest I can be so they can learn the lessons they've got to learn to choose the life that they want to live. And sometimes that means they choose a life even when they're despairing, you know, even when they're 
not at their best. They're making a choice still at that time. And I've got to let them make that choice and empower them. Yeah. Because I've done enough of bossing them around and lecturing them. You know, I did that 10 years ago and I still fall prey to that sometimes now. You know, yeah. I try not to give, I call it no ace, no advice, no, um, what do I say? <laughs> I, this, I actually got this from Changes Parent Support Network. No advice, no criticisms, and no explanations. I don't need to tell them why I can or can't do something. And I don't need to criticize them and say, why did you do that? You know, yeah. just tell them what I will and won't do and listen, be compassionate and partner with them. Yeah. And, and manifest that in your life. Well, Pamela, we're coming up on our time here. I really appreciate this conversation. I think we can go a lot longer and dig in even more. I usually like to ask one question at the end, and that's just, you know, maybe there's another parent out there who's listening to your story and they have a child that's struggling with addiction and you could tell them one thing. What would you want them to know in this moment? Mm, it's, it's a twofold what I want them to know, that there is always hope. There's always hope, but don't attach to a sp particular outcome. Oh, and that's, mm. that's, I know I, there's, mm. a, there's that letting go and mm -hmm. there's relief in it and there's sadness in it, but mm. there's also hope in it. I know that's mm -hmm. hard to understand all those, how those all can be in the same space, but, but mm -hmm. they are there. So so mm -hmm. thank you, Pamela, for coming on. Where can people find out more about you? How can they get a hold of this book if they if they want to read it? Oh, and thank you, Dwayne. It's an honor to be here and a privilege. People can find my book, Conscious Bravery, Caring for Someone with Addiction, on Amazon. That's the best place to get it. For whatever reason, I believe Amazon overstocked it, so it's greatly discounted now as a paperback. It's only, I think, about $9, $10, where it was at $17.95. It's also, I, I narrated it on Audible, so people oh, can awesome. get the narrated version or the ebook. You can also go to my website, PamelaBrinker.com, and I have, you can order it from the website. You can also find blogs on my website that I've written, and also that the website will connect you to professional TikToks I've done for parents and loved ones. I do little 15 to 30 second encouragements or, um, you know, little bites of wisdom, things to try for that day. So the TikToks are there. And they're also on my YouTube channel, which is at Pamela Brinker. And I've got a bunch of little kind of two minute shorts on my YouTube channel as well for parents and people who want to try some of the more somatic practices I teach like earth and sky or, you know, how to gather things in that you need and how to release what you don't need. And so, we need uh, all these resources. resources. <laughs> we need them all. So I'll put all those links on the show notes at theaddictedmind.com as well. Thank so, you. Pamela, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. All right. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can get the links to Pamela's book, Conscious Bravery. So check that out. And if you got a lot out of this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode.
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.